0: what if someone were to make a movie that was so unfunny so universally panned that the star wouldn't be in another film for nine years crazy right so crazy that it might just work that's why we're here to prove to you that the master of disguise is not that bad Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And every now and then you run across a movie where you sit there and go, I am surprised we have not covered that on this show yet because it definitely qualifies. There's zero question about that. But here we are today and we are talking about... The Master of Disguise. And here to go down this road with me, first-timer on the show, Noah Siegel, London. Noah, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, man?
1: I'm good. Thanks thanks for having me on the program.
0: So, when you pitched this film to be on this show, I have to ask you, why do you regret all of your life choices this way?
1: (laughs) Well, that's the thing. You, You, Everyone's a kid once that's really the only time you can ever find this movie funny because I watched it again this morning to prepare for this. And I just regret ever liking this movie whatsoever.
0: It's interesting. You say that you're, you could only be a kid once because apparently uh, Dana Carvey wrote this film for his kids to be able to watch it. His his kids were younger at the time. And a lot of his movies were a little bit more, for lack of a better term, not kid-friendly. Probably, you know, coarse language and the like. But he wrote this so they had a movie with their dad in it that they could watch. I, I, I'm curious if they actually still watch it.
1: Uh, if... Uh, um, no offense to Dana Carvey, he's a great comedian, he's an SNL legend, but his movies, uh, there's something to be wanted that's just not there at that level. And what's funny is that this is also actually a Happy Madison movie, which
0: yeah, like that's
1: that's that's surprising as well. This this
0: is the worst of all worlds on this one here. But before yeah. we get too deep into this film, it is time to take. The Master of Disguise,
2: and trailerize it. It is the year 2002, and the world is about to have a horror unleashed upon it. One that there may be no turning back from. Dana Carvey goes from playing dress-up and imitating people on Saturday Night Live, and heads to the big screen, where he'll play pistachio disguise a guy who goes on to play dress-up and imitate people. Watch as he massacres an Italian accent, massacres the self-respect of good turtles everywhere, and massacres the dignity of the USS Enterprise's science officer in the Master of Disguise. It's a film that asks questions that can't be answered, Like how can anyone who's seen this film complain about Chris Pratt's accent in Super Mario? Or how can anyone justify SNL alumni getting their own movie? Or how did anyone give Happy Madison Productions so much Netflix money after making a movie like this? We may never know, and if we did, the knowledge may hurt our brains. Dana Carvey is the master of disguise, rated PG, for Pistachio is a guy's name. No, really, we looked it up. And who the hell names are kid Pistachio? Bunch of nuts, that's who. <laughs> oh my God.
0: I actually did look it up. According to babycenter.com, Pistachio is, in fact, a boy's name. At the time that they had listed, I think it was, like, in 2021 or something like that, it was the 4,827th most popular boy's name in the world at that point, which, admittedly, it's a low number, but apparently, someone names their kid Pistachio. Pistachio. <laughs>
1: yeah I can i I was gonna ask you what the number was and hearing that it's under four thousand yeah like four
0: thousand eight hundred and twenty seven like you have to sit there and, and and go like, oh, so like one person maybe
1: <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine like that's like that's not a name that you that's just it doesn't sound like it would be a name
0: like I hear celebrities and some of the weird ass names that they give their kids and I sit there and go, yeah okay, that's fine. But they're not named Pistachio.
1: Yeah, I mean, even Northwest sounds normal compared to Pistachio,
0: right? Oh God, there there are so many like like Nicholas Cage named his kid Cal Um <laughs> like like I, I think it was like a uh, Pen from Penn Teller named his kid like a Moxie Crime Fighter or something like that. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, I mean Chris, that makes Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow naming their kid Apple normal in comparison yeah. to, like yeah. Precious Achua is sitting there laughing, going, <laughs> Your name's <is> Pistachio. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just got a basketball reference in there on a movie podcast. There we go. Now we're scoring. <laughs> but let's get into who's in this film. This movie stars Dana Carvey, Jennifer Esposito, Harold Gould, James Brolin, Brent Spiner. Yes, that Brent Spiner, Austin Wolf, Edie McClurg and Maria Canal Bearer. And again, I apologize if I mess up any names here. It was directed by Perry Andolin Baker. And I have to say this in my in my menacing voice. This was the only film. That he has ever directed Even to this day Like this is it This is one and done
1: Yep And it's funny because I looked it up as well This movie actually struggled To find a director Because from the get-go They knew it was bad
0: Oh yeah No, it's like you can, Sometimes you can sit there Look at something on paper And go, you know what This should work out You know, if we direct it right Sometimes you look at something On paper and go We're <laughs> f- that's, yeah. ba- that's basically it We're
1: yeah, for lack of a better term.
0: Right. There are a ton of cameos in this film, though, including ones from Bo Derek, Jesse the Body Ventura, Jessica <laughs> Simpson, and American sprinter Michael Johnson. Now, I imagine that this film qualifies in spades. Let's go to the <laughs> Razzies, though. This is the funny thing. Only one Razzie nomination for this film. Only Ooh. one. And that was for Bo Derek, who was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. She lost to Madonna in Die Another Day, but at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Dana Carvey was nominated for Worst Actor. He lost to Tom Green in Stealing Harvard. He was I can, also,
1: Yeah, I can understand that.
0: <laughs> he was also nominated for Worst Fake Accent Male. He lost to Harrison Ford in K-19, The Widowmaker. The movie was nominated for Worst Picture. It lost is swept away and rightfully so because that movie was so bad yeah it was also the co-winner of the most painfully unfunny comedy it shared the award that year with kung pao enter the fist and i'm sorry stinkers bad movie awards you're wrong kung pao is a gem you (laughs) put some damn respect on that film that movie's funny as hell However, this film, Master of Disguise, is on Wikipedia's list of films considered to be the worst. And if you ever want just a a trip down like really bad movie road, just find that list on Wikipedia and sit there and go, yep, yep, oh dear God, yep, yep. Like you'd think at this point, we would just take that list and do episodes on that entire list, but no, we're we're going to spread out the pain a little bit here. However, however, there is an accolade in this, but I'm not quite sure it's the one you want to be you know touting here. At the Kids' Choice Awards that year, Brent Spiner was nominated for favorite fart in a movie. <laughs> there was an award for favorite fart in a movie. And it, it's, it's not like they didn't have a few attempts to go at it here, but they lost to Matthew Lillard in Scooby-Doo. Like, I, I'm sorry, if the only good accolade you can get is be- favorite fart in a movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that just speaks for itself. Right? I mean, trust me,
0: I got a fart button on my on my audio board here, and I'm tempted to hit it today. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Of course we'll have to, you know, <laughs> put in a nice long, awkward silence afterwards and just know that we're sitting there awkwardly going, Do we acknowledge the fart? Do we acknowledge the fart? The fart may come.
1: <laughs> Unlike Fabrizio in the car every single time it happens.
0: Right? Oh, giggle farts. We should just call Brent Spiner giggle farts and be be done with it. That 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 was yeah. that was lore though. That was not data. That was lore in the film. Just Get my trucking geek into <laughs> there. This film had a budget of sixteen million dollars and worldwide gross forty three million. So you know it did make some money. And when it debuted on the August second two thousand two weekend, it debuted at number three. Debuting at number one was Signs that that took in sixty million that that week. Master of Disguise took in $12.5 million in its opening week. There were a few other debuts. Uh, Martin Lawrence Live, uh, Rentel Dat debuted at just over $7 million in number four. And Full Frontal and Limited Release only debuted with 739000 Now, here's the asterisk on that, okay? So with Martin Lawrence and Full Frontal, both of them, debuted in under a 1,000 theaters, where Master of Disguise was in 2,565 theaters. Martin Lawrence pretty much doubled the per-theater average of Master of Disguise. So had it been a wider release, it would have made more money. By the way, the number two film that year, or that week, Austin Powers in Goldmember in its second week. So Dana Carvey could not beat the second week of Michael Myers, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm surprised it made twelve and a half million.
1: Yeah, that seems like a lot. I I would not have expected that much.
0: Like I remember when the ads came out for that film, and you know, you you'd be lying if you say you weren't you know running around going turtle turtle turtle, which might yeah. be one of the only funny things in the film. It's one of those you know promos where you realize that they put all the funny stuff. In the trailer,
1: yeah, it's it seems to be a thing that's still going on twenty years later. Every it just seems like every trailer just gives away most of the movie.
0: Yeah, that is, and, and I'm not, I'm not gonna lie here. That is my biggest biggest beef of films, and there have been a few of them on this on this show that we have talked about. Where it's like, yeah, you could have watched the trailer, and you did not need to spend that hour and, and a half of your of your life. But the reason why we are here are the critics because they suck. <laughs> over at Metacritic This film has a meta score Of only 12 And over at Rotten Tomatoes The audience score Is 35% But the tomatometer 1 1% one
1: That 1% has to just be Turtle That's it Right So somewhere
0: There's a, there a critic With a turtle And they said Yeah it can't be that bad Click it <laughs> Give give, give him a pity That's like a pity point at that point That's that's the participant Ribbon for thank you, thanks for coming out Thank you for not being completely Offensive, you know, because In all honesty, the movie, while you May sit there and groan a lot of the jokes The movie isn't offensive at all It's actually pretty tame
1: Yeah I mean, you can make an argument for the brown face But that's about it
0: Yeah yeah, that part doesn't hold up too well now, does it? No. Um, I mean, it's it's done in a really, really goofy thing. It's yeah, I, I can't even justify that. But let, let's get into the breakdown <laughs> here, because because there is a lot to discuss about this film. But let's start right at the top with the pistachio disguising himself as Dana how How is he for you?
1: Oh my god! I mean, I, it's it it like, it's such it's so. It's painful because I love Dana Carvey. I love his stuff on Saturday Night Live. Church Lady is one of my favorite skits of all time. But this is basically just him doing almost sort of SNL skits for an hour and a half. And I just don't like it.
0: I wish it was a bit more, for lack of a better term, structured. As a Saturday Night Live sketch I mean, let's be honest Dana Carvey was one of the best impressionists On Saturday Night Live during his day Because every, every every comedian kind of had their their era of Saturday Night Live And Dana Carvey's impressions were bang on And I completely agree Even his stand-up special that he did around that time Was really good and really funny I remember watching it ad nauseum And this does have some good imitations Like his Scarface is Tony Montana oh it's spot on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even the ones where it's not a direct play off of a specific character, like your suave British guy that walks in and just going to sit there and wax British over everything. Like that's funny. Right. And there needed to be more of that. But the problem is pistachios for lack of a better term, normal speaking voice is so gratingly annoying that you're like, can we please have more, Impressions, so we can get away from pistachio.
1: Yeah, I, I would sit through an hour and a half of Gemmy Num Num versus an hour of Pistachio Disguisey. Right? I, again, more of that. Like,
0: <sighs> this is the problem. The comedy is in the impressions, it's not in the A plot, because the A plot features a character you just want to boot out the door.
1: Yep. I mean, or you no, know, you want to do what Rex does and just. Like facepalm his face and just shove it. Right?
0: Who You have... And he wrote this. He wrote this. I mean, with some help from Sandler and Happy Madison to kind of tweak a few jokes here and there. And there were some really, really good beats. But the beats needed to be... (sighs) After a bit it got to be just impression for impression's sake as opposed to the impressions really doing something. Yeah. Not to mention the fact, and I mean, I can suspend disbelief. You know, I can suspend disbelief that he can, you know, turn into a cow patty, you know, on a dime. And that works out well. And again, those little spots work well. It felt almost, for lack of a better term, like a cartoon.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see what you mean by that.
0: Now, that being said, and, and I'm probably going to regret saying this, so bear with me here. If they they forewent the live-action movie and they took the disguisey family and those kind of abilities and made a cartoon series based on pistachio as the master of disguise, it would actually probably be really, really funny. Because in a short 22 minute format you can have a lot more fun with it and you can go way beyond what you could do in live action i think the master disguise can work as a cartoon a saturday morning i recognize saturday morning cartoons aren't a thing anymore but i'm old bear with me here but a saturday morning cartoon within this property could work
1: yeah yeah Yeah, I think it actually could because you can go you can even go beyond Devlin Bowman. There can be more villains, you can you can get away with a lot more in animation than you can in live action.
0: If they can turn clerks into an animated series and have it be really, really funny. And just just some of the madcap antics that you put Jay and Silent Bob and Dante and Randall in and make it work and make you want more. By the way, Kevin Smith, we want more. Okay? Just Bear with me, now. but I could see Dana Carvey developing this, and in that situation, Pistachio isn't annoying with the voice. It's a cartoon at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, because just when you're looking at you're looking at the face of Dana Carvey and knowing what he is capable of, and he's doing that voice for an hour. It's just come on. Just stop. If it's a if it's a cartoon, then it's you're separating the character from the actor. Yeah, I mean, we
0: we have waxed philosophic on this show about Saturday Night Live sketches uh, being turned into ninety minute films and the joke maybe not necessarily carrying all the way. And um, some some in some cases it works. Right, Night at the Roxbury. I'll stand by that one. That's yeah, so why, because we met the characters on Saturday Night Live. With with Pistachio, he had never had a chance to really develop the character outside of his impressionist abilities on Saturday Night Live. We never got that character workshopped, and I think that's where SNL works well: workshop those characters before they hit the big screen. You know, Coneheads, Wayne's World, Night at the Roxbury. These are Magruder right like these are good (laughs) characters that actually work well on the big screen because they were workshopped you could figure out it's it's like taking a brand new song and playing it live a few times just to see how the crowd reacts to it and if it's if they're dead then maybe it's a b-side right here workshop the characters church lady great Wayne and Garth great like so many characters that they have they created and maybe that's it Mike Myers was known as and I I don't mean to kind of put Mike Myers versus Dana Carvey in this situation here but like characters like Mike Myers and Will Ferrell like they were good at creating characters Dana Carvey was good at impressions he did make some good characters but more so known for his impressions. And this plays on that strength, but would play better as a cartoon.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, like when I think of like guys like Mike Myers and Will Ferrell, like you mentioned, they can create a character just, it seems like from nothing and convince you that it's it, it's the character and not the person.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the thing is they create characters that make you actually enjoy them like Wayne and Garth the two of them combine and you have to give Dana Carvey credit for creating that character um you like Wayne and Garth they're fun characters Hans and Franz speaking of another Dana Carvey (laughs) character right well I well I don't think Hans and Franz would work as a movie we're happy when they come on right yeah um Sprockets from Mike Myers. Now it's that on Sprockets when we <laughs> dance. Like, great yep. character. Maybe not necessarily, again, in a 90-minute film. You know, I could de- I could deal with, with Sprockets if it was a Rammstein music video, which if Rammstein <laughs> ever did a music video with Sprockets, the internet would explode. Just, yeah. just saying. <laughs> I, I'm now giving you a list of things you never thought you realized you needed in your life, and, and now here we are here. But let's move on to Jennifer Esposito as Jennifer Baker. How was she for you?
1: Honestly, probably the the character who had the like the strongest grip on reality because she just tried to call out everyone on all the outlandish things that were going on and it just like she just seemed like a like she just was so out of place. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm not going to lie. Going into this film I wasn't exactly as knowledgeable about Jennifer Esposito's um, filmography up to that point. Um, and for the record, this is was actually a first-time watch for me. I think I had avoided it like the plague until this point. So uh, thank you for breaking my master of disguise, Cherry, if that thing actually exists. <laughs> yeah, we just went that far. But, that, but going on here. Um, <laughs> you wonder where that 1% came from, from the critics. And I think Jennifer Esposito actually had a lot to do with that. Uh, it's it's the anti Tommy Lee Jones, you know. If you go back to Batman Forever, Tommy Lee Jones tried to match crazy with Jim Carrey, and you're out of your league at that point. Jennifer Esposito knew exactly what her role was in this, and that was to be the sense of normalcy beside Pasaccio, because he was going to be completely and utterly, you know, crazy and obnoxious and out there, and you needed that anchor. And I think it was the perfect duo for that. Moving on, James Brolin as a Fabrizio Disguise. I, I, I'm going to try and get out of this accent here, but you know how like when you watch a movie and the accent sticks? So I'm sorry, but the accent stuck. But as the father, Fabrizio Disguise.
1: Honestly, I had no problem with him. I thought he was a good character and he played the like the role of a father figure well.
0: I'm not going to lie, like seeing some, you know, some some still shots of of him in the movie, I'm like, wait, 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 did they get Burt Reynolds here? Or was he disguising himself as Burt Reynolds? Because he has that kind of air about him. You know, that that Boogie night Burt Reynolds air. Uh, there's two things I have to point out to this, to him though, in this. A, it makes total sense that he was like a secret agent spy kind of character in this film back in his day. He has that air about him. He has that you know, for lack of a better term, that machismo about him. You it, It's not out of the question that he would have that kind of job. But there is zero way that a man that looks like that and walks around like that had a kid that looked like pistachio.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can also say that like it just makes no sense because he does seem like he's like a head, head and shoulders taller than Dana Carvey.
0: Yeah, I mean you can't even sit there and look at Edie McClurg say, oh, well, that's why. Because you know, Eddie McClurg is 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 an absolute gem, um, and and I get it. fictional characters. It's a movie; don't take it that seriously. But you see some movie parents, you know, and their kids kind of thing, and you can sit there and say, "Well, th- okay, this makes sense. It, it makes sense that that this is their kid, and maybe that's part of the 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 comedy to it. For all we know." Fabrizio actually looks like Pistachio, but he's just constantly in disguise because he doesn't want to look like Pistachio.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he might just be that master of role of master of disguise.
0: Right. He has lost himself in the role. He has gone, you know, full method acting and not wanting to look like Pistachio. I can't believe we have master of disguise conspiracy theories here, but some of the characters. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean for me it also just it's shades of uh Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder just lost in the in the method.
0: <laughs> You're the one who mentioned Brownface though, and then you go back to Tropic Thunder.
1: Yeah. I mean it is another example.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, keep in mind when this movie came out, right? And there's a lot of comedies that um, you know, in two thousand, early two thousands, uh and and they went there. And at the time, people weren't as sensitive to it. You know, that movie comes out now with that scene and it's getting canceled before it even hits theaters, right? Yeah. yeah. Back then, the sensibilities were a, a bit more laxed. You know, I, I... I Maybe it's just me and I'm just going to get on my soapbox here for a second if that's okay. I don't really have a problem looking back at films and recognizing that society at the time was a lot more tolerant of things. You know, was it wrong back then? Probably, you know, Um, but I'm not going to sit there and start, you know, throwing DVDs out and ripping pages out of books because of something that was done 21 years ago. Also, this film is 21 years old, so feel that old. But, I mean, this is a goofy movie. And goofs are gonna goof, right? So, you know, don't take a look at this and go, oh, we can't watch that, it's got that kind of scene in it. Uh, There are many other reasons not to watch this film. That's not just one of them.
3: Um, Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. However, Edie
0: McClurg, you can never go wrong with Edie McClurg.
1: Yeah, yeah. She she plays her role very well. I mean, there's not a lot of her in the movie, but when when you do see her, she definitely, like, she fits that description perfectly.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you have to... You have to have likable characters in the film. It can't all be annoying, right? And Edie McClurg and James Brolin... As, you know, the disguisey pair the mama and the papa. Oh, my God. I got to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> this, this is what happens when you watch a movie like this. It gets stuck in your craw and you just can't get it out there. Um, but, I mean, Edie McClurg's on the screen and you smile. That's just the way her personality is. You know, and there are certain actors and actresses that are that are able to do that. Their mere presence is smile-inducing, so I think they did very well with James Brolin and Edie McClurg as the parents. But then there's a grandfather disguise. He is played by Harold Gould.
1: I mean, I got to be honest. Like, there are aspects of him that I like, and there are aspects of him that I don't. But the ones that I do like outweigh the ones that don't because he is actually very funny in his role. I think. I'm I'm
0: curious now, what what is it about Grandfather Disguise that you didn't like?
1: It's it's kind of weird. It's just the fact that he he comes in right away and it just seems like he kind of expects Pistachio to know who he is, even though he was a strange like he was him and his father had a strained relationship for over 20 years. And then just sort of just sort of started doting on his grandson just saying okay you need to do this you need to do this and i i hear conveniently i have this for you conveniently look in the attic just stuff like that that just seemed weird
0: well i mean the pop-up book was really funny i'm not gonna lie with the the little things of like the you you have to do this with zero help from your grandfather well that's just convenient um yeah i think the thing though is that you know if the grandfather is estranged from the father. There has to be a reason for it. And you see the way that he pushes Pistachio to be a master of disguise. So you have to extrapolate from, you know, the the tastic relationship that grandfather completely, you know, starts to beat the crap out of Pistachio just to get him to pay attention, um, that he probably did the same thing to Fabrizio, which is why they're estranged. Like, it's it's slapstick, but it actually creates more backstory. Yeah, exactly. But very much so. Um, Which apparently... And I was really curious to... I was surprised to find this out. So apparently the reason why there's a lot of slapping and not punching is that Dana Carvey wanted this to be a PG film. And the only way you could actually punch someone is if their face is covered, which is why apparently he's fighting ninjas, but why everything else is slapping. So it actually... Like if you wonder why it's slaptastic, that's why. But and I'm I'm not gonna lie, the 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 things you have to do to get to a certain rating just feels like so obscure. Like oh no no, no you, you can't punch a guy that's PG thirteen. You can slap him around <laughs> a little bit, but that's okay. Oh no he's wearing a mask. Oh you go right ahead. Like what yeah, makes that
1: that like, it just seems so. Like you said, it's obscure. Like not many people are going to know that. Yeah,
0: and you can only imagine. Like, there's a fascinating documentary called "This Film Is Not Yet Rated," and it goes through. It basically follows a film through the um, through the the rating process. So they 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 shot the documentary, or and then they submitted the documentary for a rating that was talking about the rating system. And apparently they're very secretive about it. And then they basically follow this documentary through the rating process and what it takes to cut it down. And it's like, are you kidding me? This is so brilliant. It is a fascinating documentary. If you've never seen this film has not yet been rated, watch it. It shows the complete over-the-top buffoonery. Of what it takes to get a film to a certain rating, um, so if it slaps giving, then that gets you to PG. Go for it, right? Um, but the thing about Harold Gould, it was it, he was so comically cranky, right? He yeah. it was so over the top. It was so stage as opposed to screen. Like it, it was so grandiose that you couldn't help but smile every time he slapped Dana Carvey around.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, like, if you want the the, the dramatization of the uh, the like the like the, the cranky old man, I mean, just look at his entrance. I mean, it's it's Exorcist at its finest,
0: right? And th- and that's the thing, right? It's Harold Gould brought such a, a presence in the way he enters, right? And you know, with the way he walks and carries himself in front of Pistachio, like it was perfect it was exactly what that role needed and i can't believe i'm talking passionately about the the master of disguise but uh, again here we are we've devolved um maria canals barrera and again i apologize if i messed up the name uh as sofia the girl that pistachio likes but likes seems to like everybody else your thoughts on her oh
1: my god i mean it was like, i don't like the movie would have been just as fine without her there. I mean, obviously, it was a way to sort of just show how aloof uh, Pistachio is, but also just the... like. I love the fact that she wa- she goes all the way to the restaurant to say, you're not my type, I'm leaving, and then leaves.
0: I mean, if you want to tell someone that you don't want to be with them, that's kind of one way to do it. Um, but but the thing is, it's, it's comedically so. You know, I, the fact that she's, you know, you could sit there and say I could see why Pistachio would like her. She's, you know, she's kind of, I'm not gonna say wholesome, but it's she's not trashy, right? She she's PG, she's absolutely PG. You know, Pistachio is is pretty innocent, you know, and you don't want someone like leather clad and trashy. I think Maria nailed Sophia perfectly here. The best part of any film is your villain and Brent Spiner as Devlin Bowman. I mean, come on.
1: (laughs) He was great. It was, he was probably my favorite character as a kid and is still to this day.
0: I mean, he has gone on record and said he has zero regrets about this film because there are, and, and he nailed this perfectly. Like there are some movies that are so epically bad that you can't help but enjoy yourself in watching the film and i i can't disagree with this i mean there are some movies that are so bad they're good you know and i hold kung pao enter the fist you know so high as like like it is so stupid it's so stupid but you can't help but laugh through the whole thing Right it's brilliantly stupid, and I think, master of disguise, I mean, if you're looking for a vehicle to push Dana Carvey's career forward, this ain't it, but if you're looking for a short amount of time with some stupid laughs, this is it,
1: yeah, I mean especially the the whole the gag that like well the laugh fart that's just done repeatedly throughout the movie but it's just never i mean it's you don't have to explain it it's just it is what it is
0: it is <laughs> i did tell you that i had a part button on the board right
1: You did and we said we were going to make it awkward But we brought it up at the right time It was funny Yeah it
0: was was almost like a perfectly timed fart right I've been squeezing that in for a little bit there And it had to be released it's okay But the thing is with this film And I I get why Dana Carvey made it Because as I'm watching this film Like this is so goofy And so over the top And so slapstick That I almost wanted to to, to tell my kids You got to watch this film Because they're going to get a bunch of giggle laughs and I think that's where this film still can work.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one that, I mean, it's it's also like, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit when something that shouldn't be like, I, sh- I know I'm not supposed to laugh as a 28 year old, it's going to make me laugh. Like if someone spills water or someone falls off a chair or like something, someone gets hurt in a funny way, you don't want to laugh, but you're going to laugh. It's It's child laughter.
0: Hmm. i mean to quote the simpsons ball in the groin has a ball in the groin like it's it's true (laughs) like we there's a reason why youtube channels or fast channels like fail army exist we as 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 humans we laugh wholeheartedly at things we probably shouldn't laugh at You know, people take a slip. People like get knocked, you know, knocked in the ball by their kids swinging a plastic bat kind of thing. Like, it's, we shouldn't laugh because we know if it was us in the moment, we'd be
1: keeled over going, (laughs) but we do because we're not them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all like, well, I mean, that's the saying. It's always funny when it happens to someone else.
0: Exactly. And the thing with this film is that, it plays on all the things that you probably shouldn't laugh at, but you couldn't laugh at it anyways, because it is just so, it embraces the stupid. Like, it's one thing if a film tries really hard to be cool, and it's not, and it's like, oh, this is kind of sad. This embraces the absurdity of a character like Pistachio Disguisi. Like no bones about it Like just jumps right in two feet I think, And I think that's why I really could see this as a cartoon
1: Yeah I mean it definitely serves Especially with the name Dis- Disguisey I mean as if the main character is going to do anything Other than become a master of disguise
0: Yeah I mean You know The movie's subtle like a hammer Right it's subtle like a sledgehammer But these are the kind of characters That could work and I'm, I'm telling you right now and there's a reason why Dana Carvey, not you know, was not just on Saturday Night Live, but had his own comedy show as well, his own sketch com show. You know, it didn't last that long, but it's out there. It's he's he's a funny writer. He taps into uh, a youthful giggle inside of everyone. And I think if Dana Carvey was approached by someone like a Netflix or a Prime or a Hulu, and they're looking for, you know. Decently clean, goofy, fun. Like, I could see this show, you know, and, you know, it's it's on Netflix now. So, Netflix pony up and pay Dana Carvey some money here. But, I mean, if Netflix wanted to create a show that's... Because they do have some more adult-oriented animation. But if they wanted something that's middle of the road. You know, that, that parents can watch with their kids. And it's a good stupid laugh. And they don't get, you know, deemed like bad parents for letting their kids watch it. This is the kind of property that Netflix should be buying into.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Especially because a lot of people my age who were kids when this came out are starting to become parents. Why not?
0: A couple of things that uh, I've written down here that are kind of working against the film. And I, and I say this, you know, 21 years later since the film was released. Some of the references in this film are really dated.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Like, dear listeners, I ask you a question. Were you aware that Jesse Ventura was at one time the governor of Minnesota? Dear internet listeners, are you even aware who the hell Jesse the Body Ventura is? That's how dated this reference is. Right. There once was a time when Jessica Simpson was the biggest thing in pop music. Remember that? Yeah. A lot of people don't. I mean, the 20 Montana thing, that's timeless. Scarface is so iconic. But you do, you see some of these movies, right? And the jokes are so dated. And you're like, oh, this was funny. In 2002, when everything was relevant. Like, looking at this, did you have to remind yourself some, you know, who some of these people were?
1: Me, personally, no. Because, I mean, I watched movies like Predator, so I knew who Jesse Ventura was. And, I mean, Scarface, everyone knows Scarface. Um, but, yeah, Jessica Simpson, I grew up in the era where, like, the whole thing with her being married to Nick Lachey and that was all televised. It was basically like watching the Kardashians before the Kardashians. I mean, all of this stuff I knew, but the one that I actually had to look up was Michael Johnson.
0: Oh yeah. Like I'm sitting there going, who the hell is this guy?
1: I mean, he, he, yeah, mean, he, he's obviously an Olympic gold medalist. I mean, I had to look, I had to look that up, but I mean, when I think, he's not the first name I think of when it comes to sprinting. I mean, obviously, I have the benefit of being raised in an era where Usain Bolt is probably one of the more, like the best-known sprinter of all time. But, I mean, I had, no, like, even then, I had no idea who Michael Johnson was. I just went with it in the movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, even someone, like, you know, as infamous as Ben Johnson might have been a little bit more, you know, easier to 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 sell because of everything that happened around him and and the Olympics and the medal and everything else, um, but it is it's one of those things where it's very very. And it's funny, too, because, I mean, Jessica Simpson aside, a lot of the references and characters are from the 80s. And you have to think that that's when Dana Carvey's, you know, impressionable, like like that was pop culture for him. um, And now it's in this film. Some of these movies are are very much like time capsules in and amongst themselves. And I look at movies like the scary movie ones where, like, it's referencing a lot of pop culture at the time. Or the Hot Shots movies, um, a lot of references around those times. It can get dated, but if you grew up in that era, you at least still get it. This movie, though, one of the things I think that actually plays well for it, it's fast. Like, it's 80 minutes, and nine minutes of that is in the credits. Also, did you watch all the way to the end of the credits?
1: Oh, I mean, I know what happens in the credits scene with the the slapping dummy and stuff like that, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean...
0: Apparently, the original cut of this film was a minute, sorry, an hour and 45, a minute 45, that would have been so much easier. No, an hour and 45, <laughs> um, and of course, they cut it down to 80 minutes with apparently like 67 minutes of it was the actual film. Like, that that's a fast film. And I think that actually plays in its favor, right? It doesn't go on too long. This is not a film you, where you want to drag it out.
1: Yeah, definitely not. I mean, when I watched it this morning, I thought to myself, wait, that's it? It's already done?
0: Yeah, and like, I don't think enough movies use that to its advantage. Like, we did an episode on the 2023 Super Mario Brothers movie, and that movie is fast, and, like at 90 minutes, and but it doesn't, it, it goes, it feels shorter, and that's a benefit. This film had the potential to drag on and whether you agree with it or not, I think cutting it down so you just have a lot more madcap antics, you know, kind of punch after punch after punch of of impressions, that works in its favor because that's where it leads. And that's why I think as a cartoon, sign it up, call up Dana Carvey, give him some money. Also, Hollywood pay your writers, but still, you know, <laughs> yeah. give him some money, let him develop this because I think it could work.
1: Yeah, I can, I can agree with you there, especially because, I mean, like the cartoon antics of Jesse Ventura just walking off with the Liberty Bell, which he's definitely not. He's never been strong enough to lift on his own, or Jessica Simpson needing the Apollo Eleven lunar landing module for us for her tour. That makes so much more sense in a in a cartoon than it does in real life.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the fact that you can play on current pop culture, I mean, you could have him being disguised as a bunch of different singers and having people throw phones at him and hit him in the head. Uh, Also, people, when you go to concerts, stop throwing phones at the singers. Just stop. Just stop. But you could play on some of those new pop culture references and still have this character work well. And I mean, think about the Simpsons, right? it is considered a badge of honor. You know you've made it when you are a Simpsons character. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying the Master of Disguise is going to have that that cred right away, but it has the ability to do that same thing that The Simpsons does and put you in a cartoon where it becomes funny as hell. I mean,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, I when I see that, like... Well, I sort of think of it as this. It's just, who's the next person that the Simpsons are going to bring on? I mean, the Simpsons is one of those things that it stands the test of time. And I think it's still some of the best writing in the history of comedy writing or cartoon writing.
0: But I think with Netflix, and if they're smart about it, and I'm just going to do my little you know podcast pitch session here to, to Netflix here, just... I'm I'm going to be able to print you a ton of money here if you just listen, all right? Okay. When you think about the number of different original movies and series that Netflix creates and has the rights to, and if you take a character and a property like the Master of Disguise in an animated setting, you could have Pistachio dressing up like characters from Warrior Nun or Stranger Things or The Witcher, and have them in it becomes cross promotional at that point you could have pistachio disguise hosting netflix's to dumb and it would be funny yeah
1: yeah i didn't even think about that and all the original content it definitely works in their favor i mean you want to you want to maximize your profits literally there you go
0: Okay, so before we get to our MVPs and our shout-outs from from the internet here, I'm going to ask you, because, of course, the show is It's Not That Bad. And obviously, at 1%, the film's got to suck pretty bad to get to that point, at least with the critics, (laughs) though. But looking back at this, 21 years later, right, with the the gift of hindsight and unfortunate maturity, if you're rating this film now, where are you putting it?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I even think the 1% is kind of too much i'd probably give it half a percent
0: i'm not okay i'm not going to go as high as 35% because i'm not drunk but <laughs> i think it's still at least a 10% film you know is it good no we're not kidding anybody here you know but is it 1% i think the 1% is more of the the weight of expectation on something from Dana Carvey, because he he is a good comedian, you know? I get that, you know, there's a lot of the film that feels disjointed. I get there's a lot of the film that's just maybe not funny, but I think you look back at it and go, it's mostly harmless, completely banal humor, goofy as hell, and sometimes you want a little bit of that. Like, I'm not going to lie, a film like that, or an eventual cartoon like that because Netflix is listening. It's a tonic. A film like this is a tonic. Brent Spiner, I think, nailed it perfectly. Sometimes a movie is so bad it's fun. Because you sit there and go, I can't believe I'm watching this. And yeah, you're going to laugh. You know, little things like the long, apparently with the fart, they were going to cut right away. But they're like, no, no, the comedy's in the awkward silence, and you let it linger. And that joke lands.
1: Like Oh, um, every single time it does, yeah.
0: Yeah. There are jokes that land, you know. And yeah, it's kid and stoner humor, but it's still funny. It's not one percent. It's not 35. Those are the stoners. But it's at least a ten or fifteen percent. I I think it 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 deserves a rewatch. It deserves a cartoon because I think the you know the the spark is there. It just needs the right kindling.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see what you mean. I was definitely probably a bit too harsh in my criticism, so I can I can see where the a ten like ten percent would be like agreeable.
0: Yeah, I mean, take 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 the. The goofiness aside, you know, the casting for the most part is pretty spot on. Yeah, I kind of agree. You could probably switch Maria canals Barrera with somebody else. Um, you could even take that character out, but I think they nailed it. Like Edie McClurg, Harold Gould, Brent Spiner, just a gem, right? And he looked like he was having so much fun. Like I think the, the casting is good. Some of the jokes are good. The Kindling is required to get the spark. Before we get to our MVPs, though, on Twitter, uh, Brian over at My Weekly Mixtape, our good friend, chimed in with, it was awesome, and anyone who thinks otherwise simply isn't turtly enough for the turtle club. (laughs) Which, not wrong. Not wrong. Turtle. Turtle. I've said it before. Any comedy that has you quoting the lines afterwards did the job Right. How much of this movie were you quoting afterwards?
1: Oh, I can definitely remember from when I was a kid and I mean, even a little bit today with my parents, just, I mean, there's obviously, you know, we, would, uh, we would do the turtle and I'm just trying to remember what the other one was that we would say, but, or just a, uh, or who's your daddy?
0: <laughs> and, and you have to say it in the Who is a your daddy Right Like it's just so bad uh, And then Natalie on Instagram Chatting in with uh, It's been so long Since I've seen this movie I only have that one song Stuck in my head I had to ask what the song was I'm going to be The master of disguise I'm going to be The master of disguise Yeah <laughs> Oh my god To which that I apologized be- But I mean yeah. at, at least it's not The vitamin C song Because that yeah vitamin c right that just tells you all you need to know about dated references there um but no it is time so who is your mvp of the master of disguise
1: i mean you're probably gonna say the same thing i think it's brent spiner
0: yeah it's hard not to go with him like again someone who cherished the moment in the role but since you said brent spiner i'm going to go because i had two people written down here okay um I do have to give a shout-out to Jennifer Esposito because she, I think, understood the assignment and brought the, the, the much-needed anchor of sanity for this film. But it was a toss-up between Brett Spiner and the person I'm going to give my MVP to, Harold Gould. There is something about cantankerous old grumpy man slapping the crap out of pistachio that just made the <laughs> film that much more fun. And you find yourself sitting there going, slap him again, slap him again. <sighs> I don't know if that's a good thing for the movie or a bad thing for the movie, but you're still there and it's all good. Noah, thank you for bringing this movie to our attention and letting us riff on this. I can't believe, I think we've actually talked more about this film than the film actually lasts aside from the credits. So I'm kind of proud of about that
1: one in a way. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, I just had to bring up one thing. I also love the fact that just to even get to the flashback scene in Palermo, it took almost three minutes for the movie to do that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like it's. Huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like you always say, don't for us get to the chorus.
0: Right. Right. That's again, Netflix, master of disguise, cartoon series. If you do it, I'm looking for a paycheck. <laughs> no, no one. I will be sitting here counting our Netflix money. You know, some of the money that you were going to give to Adam Sandler, give it to us. Okay? Trust (laughs) us. Okay? Now, dear listeners, you guys know the drill. If there's a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there's no way in a pistachio disguise that we can find anything good to say about it. Hit us up on Twitter as long as it lasts, at NotThatBadCast. You can also find us over at Threads and Spoutable. Or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com. And while you're there, check out our Coming Soon page because we got a few movies on there we know that you've watched and we want to hear your comments on it. Noah, thank you again. Listeners, you guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. Mm